We'll see what the Lord has for us tonight. Hey, Cindy, can you pull me down a little bit? I'm going to echo. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 6. Now, when we come to here, David is king. He's uh, reached that thing that he was longing for so long in his life. You know, the Lord anointed him king when he was 16 years old. 15. 15 years he's going to run, and, and by the time he's around 30, he's going to be a finally anointed king. So he's become king. And now as king, he's faced a, a battle with the Philistines and, and been victorious in his battle. And the scripture tells in First Chronicles that around this time, the Lord gave him peace. He's delivered the children of Israel from the Philistines. That doesn't mean they won't have further battles, but for now... He's delivered them from the Philistines. And as he enters into this time of peace, he's got a plan. He's got a desire. Some people say that the thing that, that mankind has been missing since the fall is the kabod. The kabod, it's, it's the weight. Um, when Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, the Bible says that the kabod was with them, the glory of God. That the glory of God walked with them in the cool of the evening. That, that God's presence, that weight, it, it, it filled space. The Bible tells that, that God is invisible. It's not meaning that a, a physical representation of God was standing there. But the weight of God, the presence of God was in their life. And the Bible says on the day that they ate of the fruit, that the kabod departed. And there was an emptiness in their life. And in that emptiness, they, they, try to, they, they recognize their nakedness. Uh, the idea is not so much the fact that they were without clothing, but that, that something was missing in their life. And that's why when they, when they said to the Lord, well, we knew we were naked, so we hid. The Lord said, who told you? Because He wants them to understand what they're feeling is not the fact that they are without clothes, their nakedness is the lack or the missing of the weight, the kabod. The glory wasn't there. And since, man's been looking for that time. He's been looking for that opportunity to feel that weight. And he'll, he'll try any number of things to substitute for the presence of God in his life. I, it could be anything. Anything that we try to, to run to. In the Old Testament, over and over again... God charges the nation of Israel to turn away from idols. That was an attempt to feel the presence of God in their life with something that's not real. We still make those same decisions today. We still do those same things today. Trying to fill our life with something else. And David recognizing the kabod, the glory of God, and knowing that 75 years ago, the children of Israel took into battle, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Ark is just a, a fancy word for box. Ark means box. The box of the covenant. Remember, the box of the covenant, or the Ark of the Covenant, was a box, r roughly, you know, like three by nine. And in this box was placed the Ten Commandments. The box of the covenant, the promise, the Ten Commandments. 
Also in this box was placed a bowl of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and a few other things throughout the history of Israel that's going to be spending time in this box. But, but listen, what the box represents is all the failure of men. The Ten Commandments speak to the failure of men to be able to uphold God's law. The, the manna, the, just the phrase manna, is, is a derogatory term that reads more like, what's this? Which is, is interesting because Jesus said in John chapter 6 that he was the manna from heaven. He said, I am the bread of life come down from heaven. And how did they treat Jesus? What's this? Yeah, what's this? This isn't what they're looking for. This is not what they're thinking of. <clears throat> so they struggle uh, in that. And so it speaks of their, their rejection of God's provision. And then Aaron's rod that budded, that was a nation of Israel, rose up in rebellion against God and said, who's Aaron to lead us? So God said, well, if you think you should be a leader, go grab a stick. And so they all went and grabbed these walking sticks. And he said, now lay down all your walking sticks. And the one who buds is the leader I've chosen, the high priest I have chosen. And Aaron's rod budded. It spoke of the rebellion of the nation of Israel. So in that box is their rebellion, is their rejection of God's provision, and their breaking of God's law. That's the box. But so often when we talk about the Ark of the Covenant, what we're really talking about is the mercy seat. That's the part we always see in the pictures, right? The box was just a wooden acacia box, which is probably the very same wood that was utilized to make the cross. And then applied to the wood, or overlaid, was gold. Gold over wood. Wood speaking of the humanity. Gold speaking of the divinity. Great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifest in the flesh. It's a picture of the box. And what was placed on Jesus Christ? All the failures of men, right? The breaking of the law. Man's rebellion. Man's rejection of his provision. But the mercy seat was pure gold. The mercy seat was pure gold that fit on a 3 by 9 box. And it was a hammered work. It wasn't molded. They didn't pour it in. They beat it. They beat that hammered work into two cherubim. Two cherubim with wings coming over the top and touching. And God said to the children of Israel, You place the mercy seat over all your failures, and I'll meet you between the cherubim. So one day a year, the high priest would enter on Yom Kippur to make atonement for the sins of the nation and he would sprinkle blood between the cherubim. And that one time of the year and only that one time, he would utter the name of God. One time a year, he would stand there at the mercy seat where the Shekinah or the Kabad of God, the glory, would set in that place. And the only light in that whole room would have been the glory of God. Otherwise it would have been pitch black. And there God would forgive for another year the sins of the nation. And the mercy seat is translated the Greek word hilasterion. In the New Testament, hilasterion is also translated propitiation. You ever heard the verse where it says that Jesus Christ is our propitiation he's our hilasterion he's our mercy seat he's the covering 
over all the failures of men. Seventy-five years ago, the children of Israel lost it, the Ark of the Covenant. It went to the Philistines, and the Philistines opened it. They touched it. They moved it ways it shouldn't have been moved. Ultimately, God, God brought a, a curse. Wherever the Ark of the Covenant was in enemy territory, the Lord brought a curse. So the Philistines eventually put it on a cart and sent it away. And the cows walked to Jerusalem. Or to Israel. And when it came to Israel, several thousand people surrounded it. And they, they said, let's open it. Let's, here's our chance. We always wondered what's in the ark, you know, and we've heard all these things. So the children of Israel touched it and opened it. And several thousand, I think the number 7,000, but I have to look, died like that. But Philistines touched it. They didn't die. But when the children of Israel touched it, when they opened it, they died right there in the spot. So they freaked out. They said, we don't want the ark in our city. So the ark went to the house where it sat for 75 years. The children of Israel never made atonement in 75 years. They never spoke the holy name of God and sprinkled blood on the mercy seat for 75 years. Now David's king and he's got a rest from all that's been going on. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. He desires the people to experience the kabod, the weight of God. So in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel it says, So David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. So David's going to gather a great host. But if we want to really understand the whole story, I'm going to need to hold your finger here and turn over to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles is a, is a parallel account with this. <clears throat> so when we look at 1 Chronicles, we're going to bounce back and forth between 1 Chronicles and, uh, and 2 Samuel tonight. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. To the right. So you can go to your eye. All the first and seconds in the Old Testament are together. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. That's all the first and seconds. That's how the song went anyway. So <clears throat> that's the only way I know. I have to sing the song in my head. Uh, first Chronicles chapter 13. So the same parallel account. Here's what it says. So David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel, and with them <clears throat> to the priests and the Levites who are in their cities and all the common lands that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. So it was way back. It was before Saul was king when the ark had been used last. You remember Eli's sons took the ark into battle and that's when the ark was lost. And from that time it wasn't in Shiloh. It wasn't in the tabernacle. And the children of Israel weren't making their sacrifice there. So it says in verse 4, Then all the assemblies said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Now flip back to the left. 
And in 2 Samuel 6, it says, And David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. So, first thing he does is he asks all his advisors, all his captains, all the people, should we go get the ark? And all the people respond, yeah, go get the ark. What David wants to do is a good thing. He wants to bring the kabod back to Israel. He wants to bring the glory of God. God said he'd meet the children of Israel between the cherubim. He didn't say he'd meet them anywhere else. So he wants to do this, but it's interesting sometimes what the scripture doesn't tell us. For example, the scripture doesn't tell us that he asked the Lord. When he faced the battle with the Philistines, he goes to the Lord and says, Lord, should we go? Yeah, you should go. And should we go this way or that way? I'll go that way. And the Lord directed his plans and gave him victory. But then when it came to the ark, he knows this is a good thing. He knows that the presence of God should be with Israel, but he doesn't seek the Lord. And listen, that's important. Because sometimes we can want the right things in the wrong ways. And that's what 2 Samuel 6 is all about. Wanting the right thing the wrong way. So David desires that people say yes, and so they make a plan, right? Maybe we know the story. They make a plan. It says, the scripture tells us in verse 3 of chapter 6. So they set, or I'm sorry, verse 2. Let's go back to verse 2. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God. Now it's at Kirjath Jerim. Baal, Judah, and Kirjath Jerim. It's the same name. Every time somebody conquered a city back then, they changed the name of the city. You know, it's like, okay... It would be like today, an example today would be like every time you elect a new mayor, he changes the name of the city. So depending on who you're asking and who you're talking to, they call the city different names. It's the same place, but that's kind of the, the, the event that was taking place then. So <clears throat> Baal, Judah, Kirjath, Jerem, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name. The name. In, in fact, in Israel... When they want to say the name of God today, they simply say, Hashem, which means the name. So they'll read through and they'll come to the, the, the Yahweh, the, the, the name of God, and they'll say, Hashem, the name. And then they'll go on. Because still, the name of God was only to be uttered one time, a year, with, and, and with sacrifice, to seek the forgiveness of God for the nation. The temple has ceased to exist since 70 AD. It's 2012. It's been a long time since the nation of Israel has uttered the name over the mercy seat to ask for forgiveness for the nation. It's a long time. Was well, a long time here. And here they say, part of the way it's described in verse 2 is, who, who, whose name, the, this, the mercy seat, is called by Hashem, the name. Yahweh, the name of God, spoken between the cherubim at the time of sacrifice. And then he goes on and, and gives another title, the Lord of hosts. It's Yavatz Baot. Yavatz Baot is the Lord 
of hosts. It's, it's one of the names of God, the, 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 the Lord our shepherd from the 23rd Psalm or, or uh, Yahweh Yireh from, from uh, uh, Genesis 22, titles or names of God. Uh, uh, the Lord who provides, Yahweh Yireh. Um, so all these things, here he has the same name, Yavatz Vaot, the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. If you do a study in the scripture, here's what you're going to find that's kind of interesting. When Adam and Eve were placed outside of the garden, the scripture doesn't tell us about a sacrificial system, right? All the scripture tells us is that when they were naked and covered with fig leaves, and that wasn't working for them, that God made them skins from an animal, which in normal circumstances requires the death of an animal. Most... Theologians believe it is at that point that God taught Adam and Eve sacrifice, the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. Why is that important? When they put Adam and Eve outside of the garden, do you remember who he put to guard the garden? Cherubim with a fiery sword. Most theologians believe that from that point until the flood... When it was a time for the children of Israel to bring sacrifice, God would meet them between the cherubim at the gate or the opening to the Garden of Eden. Well, what do you mean? Well, you remember there's a story in the Bible, Cain and Abel, right? They were each bringing a sacrifice to God. One's accepted, one's not. Where did they learn how to do that? Where did they give it? Where was it offered? Where was the altar? If it's consistent through the pages of Scripture, and what we learn when we study Scripture is that Scripture tends to be consistent all the way through, it would make sense that they met there at the gate or the opening into the Garden of Eden where that cherubim guarded the opening. And there between the cherubim there would be an altar placed, and there they would offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins, and God would meet them there. That God met him in that place. And when Abel's was accepted and Cain's was rejected, the Lord said, Cain, if you do right, yours also will be received. Sin is at the door, Cain. Sin is at the door of your life. And its desire is to rule over you. But you should rule over it. God knew right then that Cain was thinking about killing his brother. Now, he was unwilling to bring a sacrifice a, 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 to kill an animal and bring it to the Lord. He was unwilling to do that. Don't you find it interesting that he was willing to kill his brother? But we have those same kind of concepts, those same kind of twisted ideas in the world today. People are, are willing to do all kind of things in the name of progress, but stand back at the concept of Someone becoming our sacrifice and paying for our sin. Willing to do all kind of other things, but not willing to do that. So here God dwelt between the cherubim. Between the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant. Between the cherubim back in the book of Genesis. Between the cherubim in the throne of heaven. Well, you remember in Revelation when we, when we see the angels gathered there at the throne. You remember what they're singing? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You ever wonder why three holies? That's probably for no reason, right? It's just, it's just random. That's why there's three holies. I don't think so either. 
Holy, 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 singular Lord God Almighty. God, three persons, between the cherubim, the throne of God in heaven, where one day we will meet him. And he will throw the robe of righteousness around us if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're forgiven at the place of sacrifice, the hilasterion, the mercy seat, which in Scripture is also the throne of God. All these things fit together. Well, there's a concept about the holiness of the throne of God, right? There's a concept about the holiness of being in God's presence. I mean, the children of Israel, when they touched the ark, they, they died. Well, when the Philistines touched the ark, they didn't. Why? Because to the nation of Israel, Paul says in the book of Romans, to the nation of Israel was granted the oracles of God. What's the oracles of God? The word. God, God gave them the word. But not everybody there read it. That didn't matter. God gave them the oracles so they were accountable to know. That's why when they did what was unholy, God held them accountable to know it wasn't okay to open the lid. If you take the lid off, what do you say? you're taking the mercy seat off the failures of man. What does that equal? If you, take, if you take God's mercy away, then all you're left with is God's judgment, right? To remove the mercy seat is to say, judge me without mercy. And God expected them to understand that because that's what he said in his word. But here David, he doesn't seek the Lord before he goes to get it. Do you think God, if David had said, Lord, I want to go get the ark, do you think God would have told him how to do it? Well, maybe, maybe. Have you ever, have you ever called on the name of God for something and, and God didn't say anything? I, I've had that happen in my life. Where, Lord, uh, you know, and, and, and God doesn't say anything. And I used to wonder, why are you silent? And then I discovered something. God won't speak to us those things he's already told us. Boy, it's right there. When God has spoken something in his word to me already, he expects me to seek out the answer in his word. Lord, is it here? Help me. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will lead us in our understanding, right? So, so if I ask the Lord to help me find the answer in the word, will he direct me to that answer in the word? Sure he will. The same is true with David. Maybe the Lord wouldn't have told him, but maybe God would have said, David, you really need to go read Deuteronomy. You need to go read the book of Numbers. It'll tell you how to do this. But David doesn't seek the Lord, so he comes up with a plan, right? Look at verse 3. So they put the ark of God on a new cart. That's how the Philistines moved it. And when the Philistines did it, nothing happened. But they're not accountable because they didn't have the word of God, right? They're not believers. They don't know. But the Israelites, whether they read the word or not, were expected to know. Well, what's it say? They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, who was also on the hill. And Yuzah, that means strength, 
And Ahio, that means friendly. The sons of Abinadab drove the new cart. So friendly and strong are moving the ark of God on a new cart. On a new cart. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. Ahio went before the ark. Friendly was out in front. Friendly was out in front. Everybody's excited, right? The ark's coming in. Friendly's gone out in front. David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir, wood, harp, stringed instruments, tambourines, sistrums, and on cymbals. I want you to notice the difference because there's a difference when we come back and David moves the ark the second time. So now they're playing all kinds of instruments that you play by hand. Guitars, lyres, stringed instruments, things you strum or things that you bang on. And they're celebrating. They're, all these instruments point to our ability to handle something ourselves. Uh, uh, so they're playing these instruments by hand. They're <clears throat> bringing the ark out on a cart. Friendly is out before and, and strength or strong is there on the cart. And when they come to Nacon's threshing floor, Yuza put out his hand to the ark of God to take hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Yuza. God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. So the oxen stumble on the threshing floor. And the ark rocks on the cart. And just like anybody, their natural tendency would be to put out their hand to steady it. There's just one problem. You're not allowed to touch the ark of God. No man the scripture said, could touch it. Now the Philistines touched it. They didn't die. But they didn't have the oracles of God. The nation of Israel did. Yuzah probably never read them. But that's not God's fault. God gave them. He didn't know what they said. Yuzah sticks out his hand. Strength Sticks out his hand. But there's no way strength in a human sense is going to be able to do what God wants to do. Because it's not by what? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? It's not about what I can do with strength in my hand or how friendly I can be or, or putting something on a big piece of wood with big wheels moving it. I've got a plan, God. I know how to do your thing. I know how to make this work. Today, the church still does this stuff, guys. The church still comes up with all kinds of ideas and programs and, and things to do. And they get away from the Word of God. They get away from just the pure understanding and study of the Word of God. The Bible doesn't say our programs are living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible does say the Word of God is. So we always want to try to stay on that foundation of the Word of God. You know how few places... Still teach the Word of God verse by verse all the way through? You know, if you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, in roughly, provided I don't get any later than I have been so far, <clears throat> you in seven years will have studied verse by verse through every single verse in the Bible. Everyone. You will have covered the whole thing. Spent time going through and hopefully understanding it. And, and so being devoted to that. Man, that, there's, there's power in that. We can do a lot of other things. 
And, and we want to do a lot of other things. The Bible says that, that we gather together to church for the breaking of bread, for fellowship, and for the understanding of the Word. So we, we give rightful place to understanding the Word. It doesn't mean we neglect those other things. But here, because they weren't devoted to the Word, and here, in this story, because the Levites weren't doing their job, what was the job of the Levites? To teach the oracles of God. And where did the Levites live? Remember, when it came to the sanctioning of the land, right? Every tribe received an inheritance, but one. One tribe, their inheritance was God. Their inheritance was God. That's the tribe of Levi. So the Levites were spread in every tribe, and every city was to have Levites. Levites would live in every single city of the nation with one job. Teach the oracles of God to the people. But you know, the Levites would get in town and they want stuff too. They want a nice house and a big piece of land and they want some cattle or sheep or goats or camels, whatever the thing was. So they would chase after all those things and neglect their duty to teach the oracles of God to the people. Therefore, the people don't understand what the word says. Therefore, Uzzah and these guys, David himself, moved the ark improperly. And Uzzah touches the ark and he dies right then. Now, here's another thing that we need to understand. In the scripture, when God takes a life, that does not equate to an eternity in hell. You need to understand that. The Bible tells us that there is such a thing as a sin unto death. A sin unto death. That there's a, a point when a person can sin and, and they're headed down a road and God says, it's better for me to bring you home now. Yuza becomes an example. It doesn't mean Yuza went to hell. It means Yuza died. That's all it means. And you're going to see that several places in the scripture. People look at things where the judgment of God falls on a person and we equate sometimes death with hell. It's not the same thing. Not the same thing. The righteous dead went to Abraham's bosom until the time of Christ when Christ would lead them to heaven. So <laughs> this is not the, the case with Yuza. The, the scripture doesn't indicate he's a wicked man, judged of God, and therefore condemned to an eternity in hell. The scripture says he did what God said not to do. Anybody here ever done that? But done what God said not to do? I'm the only one? <clears throat> well, that was what Uzzah had done. Well, the scripture says, in verse 8, David became angry because the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. So he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. Literally, that means outbreak against Uzzah or the falling of Uzzah, the place where God killed Uzzah. You know, like, when bad things happen in places today... People know him by a certain name, like Dead Man's Corner, Blind Man's Bluff. You know, that's, how, that's where they got their names. The same way here, Uzzah dies and, and David names the place, that's the place where Uzzah died. The, the falling of Uzzah or the outbreak against Uzzah. And, and, and so David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can, the, how can I have the ark? He touched the ark and he died. So immediately at that moment, David knew a lot of things. David knew, uh, I'm doing this wrong. 
Oh yeah, he knows the, the ark is to come to the to, to, to Jerusalem. Don't we all know that? I mean, the temple's going to be in Jerusalem. The ark's going to be in Jerusalem. The Holy of Holies is in Jerusalem. All those things are going to be... So he's doing the right thing. The wrong way. He's doing what God wants, but he's not doing what God wants God's way. Well, Paul would say it like this to the Galatians. Are you so foolish, O Galatians, to think that you can complete in the flesh what has begun in the Spirit? If God gives direction on how something ought to be done, well, you might say, a board might get together and say, the most expedient way to move the ark is in a cart. Everybody knows that. Put it in the back of a truck, strap it down so it doesn't wobble, and we can move it that way. We'll get there much quicker. Right? But it's not always efficiency that God's after. He's not always looking for the most efficient way. And, and we have to recognize that God's not after efficiency. What He is after is desire in God's people's heart to do it His way. However long that takes. In a moment, we're going to read God's way. And it took a long time. It wasn't very fast at all. But it made a statement about what was going on. So, Scripture tells us here that David... <coughs> so David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So he, he finds a poor Gittite. And he goes to the Gittite and he says, uh, Hey, we tried to move this and the dude just died touching it, so we're leaving it at your house. I, I, I hope I get... Obed-Edom's one of the guys I want to meet in heaven. I want to know what he was thinking. Because he took it. He took the ark of God for three months. He's got the ark of God. So he brings the ark of God. The ark of God stays at Obed-Edom's house. <coughs> and listen to verse 12. Or in verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So as long as the ark was there, man, good stuff was happening for Obed-Edom. Kind of neat. But it was there for three months. What happened during those three months? I'll tell you. I don't know if you'll believe me, but I'll tell you what happened. David went back to the city of David, to Jerusalem. And I guarantee you, he called together his two high priests, Abiathar. And he says, hey guys, what happened? We need to start searching the scriptures and find out. Is there something in God's word that tells us how to do this? Is there, is there a way? What did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? For, so for three months, I believe David searched the scriptures until he found it. Because all of a sudden he knows how to do it. The scripture says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom. And all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went up and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. All of a sudden, David's like stoked. He's filled with joy. And we're going to see all the people who go with him are filled with joy. Why? Because now they know how to do it. How to do what God wants done God's way. How to accomplish it His way. That's what they finally understood. 
It gives us a little hint of it in, uh, in, in verse 12. He says, now David's told that the blessing is there. And so in verse 13, and so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Obed-Edom to Jerusalem. Some say ten miles. How many steps are there in ten miles? A whole lot more than six, right? So here we see that the Levites are bearing the ark on poles of acacia wood. Why is that important? Well, all the failures of man are going to be borne up by the cross. The cross is acacia wood. The priests bore all the failures of man, all the mercy of God is held up by the cross. No other way. One way. Only one way to move it. So the priests would put these rods through the rings on the ark and they would lift it up. And six all throughout Scripture is the number of man. It's the number of man. When we, when, in fact, when we look at... I find it interesting. Because when I was in Israel, they have a model of the menorah, which was a seven-branch candle stand, right? This candle stand that, that was a certain height, a certain width, had seven branches on it, right? Seven is the number of completion. You remember that Jesus told His disciples at one point... That I am the vine and you are what? The branches. So, when you look at the menorah, it has one vine right down the middle. Right? And off of that, three branches on each side. Six is the number of man who can only be complete when he's attached to the vine. If there's a reason behind everything we find in the pages of Scripture... Jesus said, I am what? The light of the world. And the only light in the holy place shone from that menorah on all the other implements that were implements of worship of God in the tabernacle where their menorah stood. Six is the number of man. So every six steps, they built an altar and they sacrificed. Six being the number of man. Reminding. It's such an important concept for us to grasp. Because you ever felt like you constantly have to go to the Lord for forgiveness? Like you're constantly dealing with the same things and you're constantly facing the same struggles. And that's exactly what David models here. Six for ten miles. Every six steps, they made an offering. Every six steps, they stopped their progress... And they went before the Lord and they laid down on an altar. My, my, my motivation, God, I want my motivation to be right. Lord, I, I want to be doing this because I love you, not because I'm trying to manipulate God to do something for me. So that's why I'm doing this, so you'll do something for me. I don't want, I want, uh, so I'm going to lay that on the altar. I'm going to lay my sin on the altar. I'm going to confess these issues to you and I'm going to make sacrifice. And they made the sacrifice and they made their offering. How long did that take? And it <laughs> seemed like. And then they stop and they turn and they take... And they did it again. And again. And again. And again. Emphasizing every six steps that I fall short 
of the glory of God. I fall short of the glory of God. And we have to, in our walk with God, emphasize that very same thing in our lives as well. If you can go days, weeks, months without going before the Lord and and, and seeking forgiveness or an attitude of repentance, you're not being honest with yourself. Because Paul himself, in Romans chapter 7, says, I can't hardly take two steps without doing something wrong. That's a Jackie paraphrase. In essence, he says, I know what I ought to do, but I don't don't do what's right. And who's going to save me from from doing all these wrong things? And he understands in Romans chapter 8 that there there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn us. But if I understand the depth of my sin and the depravity of my soul and the sacrifice that God made, then I value the grace He gives me. And I don't trample it. And I don't treat it like it's a common thing. So every six steps, I'm willing to make a sacrifice. He values the grace of God that much. That he's willing to take six steps and sacrifice for some say ten miles. Maybe it was less. Maybe it was more. That's a long ways. And they did it with joy. You want to see an example of not doing something with joy? You should have seen me the day we were taking the chairs out of here. Or the day we were putting chairs back in. The only time you saw joy on my face is because everybody told me to show up at 3 o'clock. And by the time I got here at 3 o'clock, it was already done. So I had joy. But the whole drive here, it was like, you got to be kidding me, we're moving chairs. I think we should drill holes in the concrete and bolt them to the floor so we never move them again. And after we put them in different, there's people who agree. Oh, no, first change it back and then bolt them to the floor so you don't do something different. (coughs) Sometimes when we're doing things about, for, toward the Lord, we can do it all with grudge, right? We still do it, but we're grudging. That's a lot of work to, to sacrifice a bull and a calf every six steps. That's a lot of work. But it says they brought the ark in with joy. And the whole while people are singing. Because that's how much they valued the presence of God in their life. How much do we value the presence of God in our life? Enough to make that kind of a sacrifice? That's their attitude. That's the attitude that we see here on the pages of scripture. It says not only that. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Now I hear all kind of crazy talk about what David's doing. So let me make it real simple for you. A linen ephod is what every single priest of the Levitical priesthood wore. It's a linen dress in essence. A linen dress. And then the ephod is like a vest made out of linen that went over that. Why? It had to be made out of linen. It could not be made out of wool because God did not want service to be sweat. God wanted service to be cool. 
So he said, linen. I don't want people to think they're working for anything. I want them to put on linen. It's light. It's easy. It's not a big deal. It's not sweat the small stuff. Let's not make it crazy. It took us 2,000 years later to say, in order to come before God and worship him, we got to put on more clothes than anybody has a reason to put on. And stupid shoes that hurt your feet. I hate them. What The shoes that they make you wear... For suits, I have one pair. I wear them twice a year. I hate them. It, it makes, actually, makes Christmas a drag. Ah, oh, I'm going to put on that suit and wear them stupid shoes. But see, the priesthood here, they, they wore a linen, a, a, a linen ephod. It was, it was loose, it was cool, it was a dress, it was flowing, it wasn't fancy, it wasn't ornate, it wasn't, everybody looked the same. It was just, that's how we serve the Lord, you know. It wasn't about making it a sweat. It was about making it comfortable, making it cool. Well, he's wearing this linen ephod, so he's got this linen dress. And I'm sure he has that dress pulled up because if he had it it left long, you've heard the scripture say, gird up your loins. The whole concept of girding up your loins was, was pulling up that, that ephod. When you pulled up the, the underneath part, you'd pull it up between your legs and you'd actually hitch it in a belt. So it made like shorts. And then over that is this, is this vest, a blue vest. And that blue vest, speaking of heaven, that, that was the ephod. And so he's wearing these things and it says he danced before the Lord with all his might. Reckless abandon. He was willing to look He's going to tell us in a moment, even more undignified than this for God. He didn't didn't necessarily care what everybody else thought. This was him worshiping the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord with everything he had. Everything that was within him. He worshiped the Lord. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of what? The trumpet. Well, where, what happened to all the guitars? Now, don't take this wrong, Fritzy. I'll take this wrong. But there's a distinction between the trumpets and the guitars. Guitars or stringed instruments are works of the hand. And they're to be skillfully played in a part of worship. But the trumpet makes sound by the wind. The ruach. Which in Hebrew is also... The word for the spirit. It's a symbol of not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So they blew the trumpet. Don't get carried away. You say, oh, I've seen trumpets. they got them little finger things. Mm, not in Israel, they don't. You seen the Israel trumpet? There's only two kinds in the scripture. The silver trumpet, which was a long silver trumpet that was blown at the temple. They don't even exist yet. And then there was the shofar, which is that curly horn of the, whatever goat that is. Ibex, is that what it is? Ibex. I said something when I was in Israel about shooting one of those and having a trophy, and they said, what? <laughs> I said, I said don't, don't come to Idaho with your Ibex, man. That's, it won't be okay. It won't be safe. They have so many Ibex, don't think there's a shortage. They in the trees... On top of the trees. When's the last time you've seen a goat just standing on top of a tree? On top of the tree, eating the leaves. The ibex are up there. 
Do you get a chance to go through uh, uh, the place David lived? In the caves. Somebody help me out. Huh? Huh? The cave of Adullam. There's another word for it. But anyways, their goats are in there. They're called the place of the goat. In Gedi. Thank you. Oh, there it is. <laughs> if I rattle it around enough, it'll come. In the place of the goat, there's those ibex. Well, you take that ibex horn and you blow it. There's no, nothing to push. And it don't, by the way, sound like that unless you actually know what you're doing. Most of the time it just sounds like... Something like that. You gotta, you actually gotta have a concept, and you gotta love the smell of stinky socks, <laughs> because the inside of that horn smells like stinky socks, and you gotta put it in your mouth. So don't breathe in. <laughs> Just breathe out. The symbol of this trumpet, you see, is it's played by the power of the breath. The wind, the ruach. It's it's a picture of the spirit being a part of of their worship. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she hated him in her heart. Now keep in mind, when it says David, I don't want you to lose sight of this, because David becomes such an incredible picture of Jesus Christ to us in this scene, because... David took off his royal robes. He's the king. Uh, People are supposed to respect him. They see the crown. They see the robes, the rings, all that stuff. But he stripped all that off. And he just put on the very same linen ephod that the other priests had. And he looked just like everybody else. And he came just overjoyed and dancing and singing. Jesus said, John the Baptist came to you, he neither neither drank nor hung out with sinners, and you said, he has the devil. And I come, and I hung out with sinners and drank, and you call me a glutton and a wine-bibber. Because he came in the joy of the Lord. The common man accepted him how? Joyfully. Joyfully. They accepted him with gladness. Because he was just like everybody else. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 said that he, the great kenosis, he emptied himself. He took off his royal robes. Took off his royal robes and, and there he was. Celebrating. Celebrating the opportunity for the kabod to come to town. For the, the weight and the glory of God. So they brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So there hadn't been enough offerings every six steps. They did burnt and peace. The burnt offering speaks of consecration to God. The peace offering speaks of having peace with God. And what, how do we have all those things? Through our relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. And then it says, uh, And then David, when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. There's that phrase again. That phrase again, the Lord of hosts. He, he, he uses the name of God, Yabatzbaot, the Lord of hosts. And he, and he lays that out there for the, for the children of Israel. And then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, 
both the women and the men, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisin. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Now, depending on what Bible you have, it could say a piece of bread, a flagon of wine, and a piece of meat, or a, a, piece, a, a loaf of bread, and a, and a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. And whenever you find those kind of things in the scripture, this is what that equates to. A word they don't know. There's a word in there they don't know. Sometimes it's translated flesh. Sometimes it's translated flagon. The idea for flagon was a water skin. Remember Jesus, or Paul teaches about old wineskins and new wineskins? Jesus. So, so this, that concept. So it's that word for a wineskin. So, so some, that's why sometimes it's translated wine and, and sometimes translated a piece of meat. But they don't know. They don't know. King James says it's a piece of meat. And that's okay. Uh, uh, NASB and, and NIV may have a cake of dates and, and a cake of raisins. And, uh, um, you know, because they're trying to, to solve the issue. It doesn't really matter. I just thought I'd throw that piece of useless trivia out there because your soul does not rest on whether it was dates, raisins, and wine, or meat and wine, or not meat, or there was no wine, or it doesn't really make any difference. So, sorry I wasted your time. Let's get back to the scripture. <laughs> so then it says, <clears throat> so then it says, and, and everyone departed, everyone to his own house. Now, hold your finger here. We're going to come right back in a second, and we're going to go back to, to the right. Remember, we went to the right, to First Chronicles. <clears throat> if you want to get more... Of, uh, of what's going on. Again, First Chronicles chapter 13 through 16 deal with this whole part. But we're just going to go to chapter 16. First Chronicles chapter 16. Turn to the right to that point. First Chronicles 16 verse 1. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle. And David erected for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. We read this. And then David had finished. He offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he distributed to everyone of of Israel, both men and women, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, cakes of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief. I want you to remember that name, Asaph. Because if you read through the book of Psalms, you're going to read that name over and over and over again. Because not every psalm was a psalm of David. Some of the psalms are psalms of Asaph. Asaph the chief, next to him, Zechariah, then Jeliel, then Semiramoth, and Jethiel, and Mathathiah, and Eliab, and Benaiah, and Obed-Edom, and Jael, and the stringed instruments and harps. But Asaph made music with cymbals. I like Asaph. He's the drummer. He's the drummer. He's the drummer in the band. And Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priest, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Listen to this. And on that day, David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. So we have the psalm sung when the, when the Ark was placed. And it's a key. It gives us a key to how do we worship God. And basically, 
just do what this psalm says. Uh, verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. That we give thanks to God and we make known that which He has done. Sing unto Him. Sing psalms to Him. Talk of His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. That word, seek His face. If you were to translate that phrase into the Greek, it would be the word proskuneo. Proskuneo is a word in the Greek for worship. It means to turn your face toward. Oh, I'm dropping my... I got a tail. It's terrible when you have wires hanging all over you. The word proskuneo means to turn your face toward. The idea of turning your face toward the Lord. To turn toward or... To turn toward to kiss is the word for worship. Seek his face. To look toward the Lord. Well, remember his marvelous works which he has done. His wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, and children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word covenant is two things. Promises and sacrifice. Remember the promises of God and His sacrifice. The covenant of God. The word which He commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant or the promise He made with Abraham. His oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob as a statute to Israel for an everlasting covenant. Be my people and I will be your God. The Abrahamic covenant. Saying to you, I will give you the land of Canaan as an allotment for your inheritance. When you were few in number, indeed very few and strangers in it. And when they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes. Remember Abraham when he, when he lied about Sarah? Well, the nation of Israel is wrapped up in the family of Abraham. He, he goes into this city and he says that Sarah is his sister, not his wife. Remember? And the king takes her. But the Lord doesn't allow the king to defile her and to, and to take her into his bedchamber. The, the, the Lord gives the king a dream and says to the king, you're a dead man. Remember? And the king ultimately rebukes Abraham. Well, what are you trying to do to me, man? You, you lied and I almost got killed by God. He rebuked kings. He protected the nation. He watched over and kept them. He says in uh, 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 verse 22, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and gladness are in His place. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord. Give Him glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. All these things tied to worship. Worship is not just the songs we sing. It's the life we live. It's the way we do the things we do. That's worship. 
It's, it's an opportunity to turn our face toward the Lord in everything we do. Tremble before Him all the earth. The earth also is firmly established and it shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. And let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God, of our salvation. Hosanna. Deliver us together and deliver us from the Gentiles. Give thanks to Your holy name, to triumph in Your praise. Blessed be the Lord God from Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Man, the... Worship service closes. It was we go back to Second Samuel chapter six. As the worship service closes, it says that David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. The idea is not that he made himself naked. The idea is that he took off his royal robes. All the things that made him better than everybody else. He took all that off. And she hated him for it. How much like Jesus is that? Who laid aside the robes of royalty, the ability to demand everyone bow their knee to him. The Bible says it will happen, doesn't it? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He could have demanded that at the manger. But he set aside his robes. He set aside the, the rings and all those things that made him above everyone else. And he came just like everyone else. And they hated him for it. He becomes our sacrifice. He becomes our motivation. Why do you do what you do? Whatever you do. It doesn't make any difference. You're a tire guy at Les Schwab. Why do you do it? If you do it so that you can have a nice house and, uh, and nice stuff and get things and all that stuff, your motivation is wrong. The Bible says, do all things to the glory of God. I do what I do to honor Him. To glorify Him. That's my motivation. If that's not my motivation, I don't understand His sacrifice. I don't value what He's given me. I, I, I'm... I, I, so I struggle with the concept because I don't understand. The, the, the cure for a concept of, of considering the sacrifice of Jesus a common thing. Just, it just, it's just, you made yourself like all the abased people. See, that's the way Michael looked at the sacrifice. And she's barren. No children. Rest of her life. Despite the fact that she shouldn't have been there in the first place. But we won't get into that. She's barren because she despised the sacrifice. The, the, the key 
to, to, to grasping my motivation for why I do the things I do in life, why I want to be a good father, why I want to be a good husband, and not so, so that my wife will do the things I want her to do or so that my kids will be respected by the community. It's because I want to honor the Lord my God in everything I do. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my God. I, I respect, I, I honor what He's done for me. That's my motivation to doing the things I do. That's what we want to have. That's what we want to grasp. And Michael didn't understand that. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this. And humble. Listen, this is the key to what he's saying. And will be humble in my own sight. People read this and they say, oh, I'll be more indignified than this. I can do crazier, dumber, weirder things. That's not what he's saying. When he says, I can be more indignified than this, he's saying, I can make myself lower than this. I know I'm the king of Israel. I know that, that, that all of my subjects are to honor and respect the position of the king. But I'll make myself more indignified than this. David would say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the palace of wickedness. He's king. The most important guy in the whole area. But he was willing to make himself more indignified, more humble, more low. Well, the American dream, guys, is figuring out how high we can get. But God's dream is the opposite of that. It's figuring out how low can you get. How humble can you be? It was funny, I had somebody come in and he cursed me. He, he came and he, and he said, I just really want to uh, thank you for how humble you are. I says, what are you doing, man? How can you say something like that to me? As soon as I say thanks, I'm full of pride. Because I'm saying, yeah, I am a humble guy. Well, you know, start over. <laughs> but that's the, that's the, I don't know, that's the purpose of our life. I can be more indignified than this. It doesn't mean I can act stupid. It means how low, how, am I willing to, to sweep a street for the Lord? Am I willing to wash feet for God? You ever thought about that? I mean, think about just for a moment, if we dimmed the lights and we started playing music and, and, and I grab a basin of water and just start working my way through, taking off your shoes right now, washing your feet right here. I guarantee some of the people in the back are going to go because they're like, he's not washing my feet. Well, you're Peter. Because when Jesus came to them, he said, Peter said, you're not washing my feet. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a pride. It's pride. You think the, the humble place is to wash the feet? That ain't it. Have you ever been part of a foot washing ceremony? The humble place is not on your knees washing the feet. The humble place is letting somebody wash your feet. That's why Jesus said, unless you do this, you have no part of me. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. I can be even more undignified than this. That was David's claim to Michael. And then he said, but as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken... To them I'll be held in, in honor. Who really loved Jesus? 
Was it the Pharisees? No. No, remember when he's at Simon's house? He's at Simon the Pharisee's house, and, and they're gathered there, and, and this woman washes his feet with her tears. Everybody remembers the story? Traditionally, that's Mary of Magdalene. We don't really know, but tradition says that's who it is. A, a woman from out from whom was cast seven demons, and, and a woman who had been forgiven for much. So she loved much, enough to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and wipe his dirty, muddy, dusty feet with her hair. And Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee, he who has forgiven much loves much. David said, these, these ladies who saw me dance, they're going to honor me. It's the same concept. They saw the humility of the king. What, what would you think of a president that was like that? A president that, that got out of his big old ivory tower, walked down on a normal street with normal people, sat down at a hot dog place and had a hot dog with a construction worker and asked him what he thought about what was going on. You ever seen that? That's what David did. And the common people loved him. But Michael hated it. And she was barren. She despised the worship of God. And she was barren. We have to learn to value the sacrifice that God made for us. That's the key to having proper motivation in our life. Amen? Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? (coughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time and opportunity to come before you. An opportunity to praise your name. God, we ask that you meet us here. Father, we just pray, God, that your word would... Do a perfect work in our lives. God, we pray that we would value your sacrifice. That we would come to understand what you've given for us. That we would realize just how many reasons we have to bless the Lord. God, we pray that you would be glorified in this place as we seek to honor you. As we go from this place, may we be your hands and feet. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a word of worship. I invite you guys to hang out and worship with us. We'll meet you out in the foyer for a time of fellowship. God bless you. Go in peace.